turned out to be a punk rocker. You know what I do? Warning. This podcast contains hot takes, cliched opinions and strong language. Welcome to Records and Bands. Welcome to Records and Bands. I'm Rob Jones. I can't believe it's taken 18 months and 40-odd episodes to get here, but tonight, finally, we're talking about one of the very best bands of all time, Pearl Jam and their 1998 album, Yield. So joining me tonight is our resident racket maker, free chord truth teller and tasteless wonder, Sam Jones. How are you, Thanks, bro? I think. I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. cheers. Yeah. Um, and also joining us is a man who I'm told has impeccable taste. And to quote someone close here, loves all of that shit that you like, Rob. <laughs> Clint Light. So Sam and Clint go way back. And I think we've got mutual friends, Clint, in a way that, you know, small market towns create. But um, Sam, do you want to give us a quick brief history on the joy of you and Clint? So me and Clint used to work together many years ago. And as he is, we were messaging earlier saying, we basically used to spend most of our time skiving and chatting about bands and chatting about music. Um, we were in a band together for a little while, um, which was a lot of fun with Jace, who's been on the pod before. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to embarrass him here. And because he's not, I know he doesn't like this sort of thing, but, Clint is a very dear friend, a very good friend. He does like all that shit that you like, Rob. Um, so, <laughs> so, so welcome to the show. Where do you come in with Pearl Jam then? Was it with that big explosion at the end of 91, early 92 with 10? Or was it a bit later? Or Yeah, it was 10. I remember um, the first time I read about them, I bought some magazine I can't even remember the name of, but it had these posters of like Mike McCready and Stone Gossard. And I was really into strats and so like, and McCready's a strat man and you have to like Stevie Ray Vaughan and stuff. So like I had these, these, um, you know, these posters, I put the posters up and I was like reading about the record. I was like, I need to get this. And I remember um, like, so we lived out in the sticks. So like uh, we got the Tang bus in after school um, to go because my friends wanted to go to the Mayfair and I hated the Mayfair. But I had money off my off my mum, and I went down to record shop and I bought ten on cassette, and um, and I just played it to death. And like I'd get on the bus, and then if we had like a nice bus, sometimes to go to school, it had a tape player in. I'd be like, put that on, and the driver would put it on, and 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 I just listened to that album like over and over, and I loved it. And then you know you know like how it is when you get into a band, and then like you go off onto it into tangents don't you are well who who were they influenced by and all this kind of thing so they were kind of a gateway band for me got me into Soundgarden and stuff but I love that whole sub pop scene which they come out of you know with their kind of roots as Green River and all that kind of thing you know I got exploring into that um but yeah like 10 that's where I got in and then like I remember I got like um, versus or like it was there was a bit of a mix-up wasn't there when it came out they were going to call it Pearl Jam so like when I got it, it didn't actually have verses on the cover, you know. I got it on the day it came out and, and stuff with and um yeah, like so up, up until then, like they were my band, you know. Um, and I much kind of as much as I'd got into them through, you know, Nirvana was my first kind of step in into that that world. Um Pearl Jam Fast became, you know, my favorite band. So so I for me, like Pearl Jam the greatest band 
of all time. You haven't and mentioned it. No, I know. I, I absolutely love them. They're like the defining band for me. I think they're wonderful. And I have spells of like not listening to them for a while. And then I've listened to nothing else but them for ages. And uh, yeah, I just, they can do no wrong. I don't, it's mad because like they sell out two nights at Hyde Park and yet I never meet anyone who else is into them. Yeah, it's, it is weird. It's because I'm just trying to think apart from you. I, I can't think of anyone else who actually likes them, you know, I that I know. Apart from, well, you know, my wife and, and stuff. But like, you know, could, do you ever get this thing where, you know, if you like, if you love a band, you you feel like you must like everything. Like I used to be like, force myself to, even if I'd be like, oh, I don't really like that. But like, is there anything that you're not too keen on, like like album-wise or song-wise that, they've done yeah yeah i'm sure we'll get into it later on but um what happens is a new album comes out and i'll get it but i won't listen to it for ages because i'm scared that i'm not gonna like it yeah yeah (laughs) so i think i had um i had lightning bolt on cd and vinyl and i didn't listen to it for about six months like it 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 was nearly a year before i listened to gigaton why because it came, it came out right at the start of the lockdown and then I moved house and everything was so busy. I just didn't really get the time to, like, I was like, I want to sit down and actually take it in. And I, you know, it, it was nearly a year before I'd actually got the chance to listen to it properly rather than just having it on in the background, you know, and it's, it's, it's a grower, that one. Yeah. I, I was saying to Sam, when he'd said about doing this, I was like, well, I have, I'm no good post like backspacer. I mm. kind of jumped off the wagon there because the avocado record i i was like you know the track unemployable on there i think is absolutely amazing it's one mm. of their best songs but everything else i was like mm, don't not so keen on this and then backspacer there was like the fixer i thought it was awesome i went to see them in manchester um when that came out for me and i mean I, you know this is only my opinion which is pretty much worthless but for me i was like like right act i i thought was brilliant but in places there were a couple of tracks i maybe didn't like so much Binaural is their high point for me. I absolutely, I think it's awesome. It's like, for me, it's their best record. But then like, you know, self-titled Avocado, whatever you want to call it, up to like Lightning Bolt. I think you could almost take any mixture of songs off those records and just, I couldn't tell you which one they came off because it's kind of all sounds a bit the same. But then Gigaton, I was like, this is, is, I think it's over long. I'd trim the last three songs off it probably, but some of those tracks, like is it Dance of the um, Clairvoyance, where they're, it's very experimental for them. I was like, that's brilliant, you know, especially at that point in their career, you know, to be doing and pushing like that. And I've, I'd written down a couple of others, but I was like, yeah, that is really good. And it kind of it kind of redeemed them in my eyes a bit, you know. I was like, oh, you know, that's really cool. So um, It's interesting that you say Binaural is their favourite, like their best record, because I think Riot Act is their best record. Okay. Well, it's, 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 I have a rotating top three and there's never really a top one, but yeah, Riot Act, I think is a very, very special record. So Sam, how do you, um, do you have a relationship with Pearl Jam at all? Uh, my relationship with Pearl Jam is, they're your band, really. And never a band that I've been in love with, to be honest. Because goes as far as say, not even a band that I really like. But in the spirit of the podcast, I have taken the time and I have listened to this uh, record we're going to talk about a few times, actually. More, like I sort of alluded to earlier, I've probably listened to this record that 
I'm not overly keen on. I'll, I'll set my stall out early doors. So, but thankfully, we've got you two who can chat and chat about it by the sounds of it. Um, but I've got some notes. I've got some thoughts and feelings about it. Pearl Jam, to me, just, I don't know. I just don't, they just don't, they just don't fit for me. Is they it because I love them so much? Um, I don't know. Possibly. I've got, I'm going to, I'm going to set my stall out again here. I think I know why I don't particularly like Pearl Jam. And I'm going to say it. I don't like his voice. Do not. I don't like it. There, I said it. Okay. Feel free to terminate the call if you wish. Clint, you (laughs) can terminate. That's interesting, mate. Because, like, one of my notes I've written down, like, I think there's a handful of songs where he is a really good lyricist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But on the whole, I would say, is Eddie Vedder one of the great rock lyricists i'd say no but is he one of the great all-time rock vocalists i'd say absolutely yes like for me i'm not saying he's a bad vocalist because he's obviously you know like when he's because he hits no and he's and he's got range and he's got i just i don't know just, just don't think i like it man. right <laughs> I, i'm gonna right we'll get into the categories in a minute i'm gonna quickly jump in into defense of um would you just like me to finish my my review that I've written down here of Mr. Vedder's vocals? Right. Oh, yeah, go on. So I've written here, I've, I've got some notes. I don't normally even go as far as notes. I didn't want to turn up and just be like, nah, shit, mate, I don't like it because that's unfair. So I spent the time, I listened to it. And so the notes that I've put here, um, is it Eddie's voice I don't like because I just don't get it? And then I've added, does he sing into a pillow? And does he? Did he grow up with the tax on vowels? Because he kind of sings without vowels a lot of the time. And I've also this is that's my trying to be amusing. Um, I don't know. There's just something about where he kind of seems to miss. And then this is actually my real thought about it: is that in a lot of the the songs on this record, his voice seems to me to sit low in the mix. And I wonder if that slightly, the way he sings, which I think is a little, a little bit muddy and a little bit at times, being low in the mix just gets a little bit lost and you're the whole time trying to think, like, what's he doing here a little bit with it? So I would say, um, and Clint, feel free to jump in and back me up anytime you'd like. <laughs> um, you can't gang off on no, me. This isn't I think by the time you get to this album... And certainly into Riot Act, his voice is very, very different to his voice on Ten. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think it's a, I think it's better. If you listen to if you listen to Hunger Strike, Temple of the Dog, the duet he does with Chris Cornell, you've got two of the best rock vocalists in their absolute prime at the beginning oh, yeah, of their career. But you could almost interchange the parts and not know who's singing which bit yeah yeah whereas later on cornell still got that pure technical immenseness but vedder his voice has changed and it Mm. is singing every night and smoking 40 marlboros and two bottles drinking two bottles of wine and there is that wear and tear and it to me it becomes a much richer instrument and i do think yeah. like clint was alluding to earlier that he does use his voice as an instrument more so than always having something 
important to say. Yeah. I think for one of those bands which are, you know, a focal point of a movement or a generational icon, they don't actually say a lot in the lyrics of their songs. But in terms of his voice, I think his voice gets better as he goes on. And I think he likes the vibrato a bit much sometimes. Mm-hmm. And again, if if you really want to hear Eddie Vedder, listen to any one of the numerous live recordings. Because that's where he's absolutely in his element. Yes, and I think actually, you know, kind of not don't want to go on a rabbit trail, but I think um I think they are better when they're not kind of trying to convey some kind of explicit message. Mm. You know, I think his best his best writing is where he's kind of more like a narrative or, you know, more the character driven kind of stuff that he's tried. Stuff like off he goes on um Yeah, yeah. No code. Yeah. Or like um, sleight of hand on uh, yeah. binaural, unemployable on um, the avocado record. Those, like for me, those are his best in terms of a writer. Yes, because as much as I like Bush League on Riot Act, which is the very clearly the anti George Bush song, it's very on the nose. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant song, but like lyrically, it's very on the nose. There's not a lot of nuance there. But then there's uh, there's other stuff where he's literally choosing words, and we've spoken this, about this before, maybe with with Kanye, Sam, about how he's choosing words and phrases because that's what fits the melody, and then works back from there rather than this is what I want to say. It's these are the words that fit the sound we're trying to produce as a band, and we've spoken about that with Kanye, haven't we? So you've spoken about every other Pearl Jam record and your favourite songs on that on those. Um, so. Obviously, we're going to try and focus on Yield tonight, which I think is going to be tricky because you two seem very excitable. Sorry. I <laughs> no, apologize. No, 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 it's fine. It's great. It's 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 a, it's a good listen so far here anyway. You so, say you love it when I... You say I come alive when I get to do my grunge history lessons. You do. And stuff yeah, yeah, past, yeah. So you, you, you gave up the Scott and I, it's the happiest you've ever been. So what do you think is the best song on Yield then? Let's just get straight to it. First category best song my favorite song on yield well I, I really like how brain of jay kicks off the album and we often speak on here about you know first songs being a statement of intent for the rest of the album um and i really like brain of jay um that's really cool um years ago i really loved mfc which i think stands for many fast cars and there's a really really cool version on the live on two legs um album that they put out but now after Oh, it's 25 years nearly. My favourite track on the album is Faithful because I think it's pretty much it's everything that Pearl Jam do brilliantly in one song. All the different aspects of Pearl Jam come together really nicely in that one rap, in that one track. So, yeah, I think similar to you, really. I think you know, Brain of Jay. When I originally had this record, that was one of my favourite, and I mean, I think it is a great opening track. You know, to it probably it's probably the best opener to pretty much any Pearl Jam record, I, I would say. Mm. Although I do like that kind of, you know, that ambient type thing that's going on with 10 that opens and closes it. Yeah, because um, I've been like really just listening over and over to this record and, you know, highlights for me is like you know, MFC. I think it's awesome. And like you say, the live versions of it. I think there's one on the live touring band 2000 video and dvd that came out that's really really good 
Um, but my favourite track is actually one by my my favourite member of Pearl Jam, Mr. Jeff Ament, Um and that's um, Low Light. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The end, and yeah. I love that song. Oh, okay. Well, it's um, yeah, just that little. It's like a countryish sort of waltz type thing, isn't it? And it's it's just beautiful. I think it's probably you know one of their most beautiful songs they've done. And and I think really this was their first really collaborative record where everyone was kind of contributing lyrics and everything else like that. And I think. It really pays off. Now, Sam, did you have any particular favourites that you or you like when you listened to it? I did actually. Yes, one one in particular for me was Head and Shoulders, the best song on the record. Um, Brain of Jay. I heard that and I thought I'm going to really like this, and it just just it's just it's a good song, but it, 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 it for me it flatters the deceive is what I put it. It kind of sets you up for one thing and then it's not, and it annoyed me a little bit. I'll be honest, uh, faithful, bad song, bad song, didn't like it. I've I've got on my notes here that um, Given to Fly was the first good song on the record. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is, this is... Uh, I love Given to Fly. I think Given to Fly is brilliant, but like... That, that was a single, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. as soon as I heard that, I thought, I know this. I felt like I knew that. I liked um, MFC for a good, solid track, but... Clint, you said about low light, and I'm wondering now if it's going to be written by the same guy. But um, I thought Wishlist is the best song on the by a mile. I thought it was such a good song, like such a good song. That I was, I was listening to the record, and I thought, oh, yeah, don't really. I'm, and that came on, and at that point, I thought, oh, I might have a bit of backtracking to do it because I thought that that's a, a such a good song. And I, yeah, it just it just seems separate, almost like it should be on a different album. Um, we haven't really come onto a consensus there. So, what was it? Low light, wish list, and um, faithful. Faithful. I'm happy to go with Clint, Clint's choice for that one for low light. So, we're normally kind to the guests. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, the flip side of that, we always do this one after the other. Is so, if that's your favourite, what's the worst? And um, we kind of caveat worst with least favorite or most skippable so in the past we said that like sweet child of mine was the most skippable track on appetite not that it's a, a bad song but you've heard it a million times so slightly different for me i think there's two songs in here that are absolutely pony <laughs> red bar i mean it's 30 seconds oh no long. no don't count that don't count that i always count that as like a sort of in between the two so that was never that's a track that's given a name on Apple Music, but that was never given. That was never a thing on the record. That was just like a little intermissiony type bit. I got to be honest. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, really. Do you like that? Yeah. War. I'm crazy. We're all crazy. I'm war. And then it goes into the. He's gone. I love how the tempo keeps changing and stuff, and it's like that's one of the strengths of the record sequence. So yeah, just just before I pass on on this onto. I thought um, a pilot, bad song, bad song. That's written by Jeff Ament. Oh, okay. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I think it was, uh, they like they so. trash that song. I just listened. And like, it's not very often. I mean, I'm already kind of one foot out of the door a little bit because they're not, you know, they're not my favorite band in the world. And I just heard that. And I, to be honest, the first, first time I listened to the record, I got that far and I thought, I can't listen to this. Turned it off. <laughs> then I went back and listened to the rest of it and got through it. So I'll agree with you. So I've written down on for for mine for most skippable. I've got Pi- Pilot is probably the weakest track on the album. 
but again there's some really good live versions i've got a version from uh like a christmas homecoming gig in seattle from 2013 and they do it on there and it's absolutely kicking ass like mm. it's really really good i don't usually hang around for the hidden track at the end and wishlist is a bit schmaltzy really but it's still so much more than anyone else would have done with it because there's so much stuff going on in the background where really it could just be a simple Eddie Vedder on his acoustic, like he does mm. with Just Breathe later on on Backspacer or whatever album that's on. You know, it could just be the Eddie Vedder show, but it isn't because he leaves room. The bass is doing some cool stuff. McCready's yeah. guitar works really good again. Everyone's got a role in it. Yeah, But I can still skip it. Do you know what I like about that song? Sorry, I know we're talking about things we don't like about it. But and I, this is something that generally I like about music, and I think it's a great confidence and something I've never been able to do. When a lot of songs, when it comes to the end of the fade out, it's just mm. like the chorus repeated. But like he's still going, he's mm. still singing like yeah. lyrics, different lyrics as it's all fading out. And I like that. I, I respect Clint. Yeah, and um, uh, consensus on pilot. Although I will say, I think because I have tried hard to like it, it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. In the verse sections, it's really quite lovely. But then the chorus is just this kind of lump and kind of plodder that it just wrecks the whole song. Yeah. You know, it's almost like two. It's that chord he goes to. When he goes into the chorus, he just seems like, and I'm no expert, you know, he's obviously a much better guitarist than I, but like, he just seems to play some random shit. And it's just like, what? And it's not like, you know, sometimes like a song like shifts key, like half a step. It's like, oh yeah, I like that. This is just like, what? And it just doesn't like, and the chorus is terrible. And like you said, it's like two songs. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. And, and I have to say, my other least favourite that I, I can't hang around for is all those yesterdays. I think it's dreadful. Oh, I really like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, it's interesting, isn't it? When it's like, you know, this is some, we could one person might find something they love in something, you know. I mean, I, I will say like there's, you know, like you, you touched on a little while ago, you know, there's little things going on, which I think it's a real headphone record. Mm. I love it where there's stuff buried in the mix, which if you just listen to it, you know, out in the open, you wouldn't pick up on. And I, and I listened to it on headphones. I was like, right, that, that's really cool. There's these little little bits hidden away and stuff. But I, I, I have tried to like all those yesterdays, but I just think it's really trite. And yeah, I just can't think of anything good about it. Sorry. It's all right. Um, I think that's an interesting point. Sorry, we, we're a bit tangenty this evening. We're normally a bit tighter, but um, um, no, we're not. Well, we, it's been a couple. Um, how, how does everyone feel about Push Me, Pull Me? Love it. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think it's really good. Like, yeah, it's Veda do, like Veda doing his talky mm. bit, which that she does on most albums nowadays. I think, like, but it's it's really cool. I love like. See, it's probably the most experimental track on this record, but he's got you know this spoken word and his rumbling baritone and then there's all this like layers of loop sound and different stuff going on i just think it's awesome it's like if you if you only knew 10 and then you put this record on you'd be like wow is this a second band yeah but it was like for me it was just them really pushing and and i think that's probably what you know no code yield binaural pearl jam probably at their most experimental which nice to see they did again on gigaton but I think that's why I really didn't like, you know, Avocado and, you know, then following sort of two records because it just felt like jump by numbers for mm-hmm. me. But yeah, like Push Me, Pull Me, I think it's brilliant. I'd love to hear them do more stuff like that because I think it's genius. Um, the Sam Jones Award is next, isn't it? So 
The Sam Jones Award for I Wish I'd Written That. I, I didn't think I was going to have anything at all for this, but I do. I do. I picked out, picked out one brilliant lyric for my uh, for this. And if you'll if you allow me, I'm going to get it in. No, it's is it off of wish list? No, no, it's not actually. And no, and you're only saying that because there's a line about Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite frankly, (laughs) (laughs) no, I went completely the other way with it on um, on do the uh, do the evolution. Um, I'm at peace with my last, and I can kill because I, I God, I trust or something like that. And I thought that's a really cool line. That's just like yeah, really like that. But also, it's. It's really cool. They're supposed to actually saying much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it's mean. there because it sounds yeah. good. Like you know, it's I shot a man in Reno just to watch exactly. him die. Yeah, yeah. That was when I was listening to it. Like I thought, I do. I like. I wouldn't turn that in written of the writing of which this. Cause I think it's a really good song. But yeah, that was listening to it. I heard that line. I thought, hang on a second. I went back and listened to the track again. There's a few bits in that song that are really cool. Uh, but yeah, that that lyric was the one that really stood out. I was like, yeah, I like that a lot. I really like the rhyming of echoes and it goes on Facebook. Nice, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that they get away with a two word word chorus on "Given to Fly." Yeah, yeah. He didn't didn't fly. It's an amazing chorus, and it's two like two words in it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think of it like that. To be fair, but yeah, yeah. The bit I, in the whole album I wish I'd written the most, and I, and you kind of touched on it earlier, is when he goes, "There's on do the evolution." There's my church, and I sing in the choir. The hallelujahs kick in. I just think that's yeah, nice. Yeah, that's that really cool. really. It's really classy songwriting, like and arrangement, and just getting it all together. Like yeah, it's that. almost to the point with that where it's so good that you almost think like it's a bit naff, but it's not. It's just, it's it's like exactly what you want to happen. It's like when the good guy wins mm. in a film. You kind of think, oh yeah, the good guy's but because it, it's what you but it It's Captain America getting Thor's hammer is, in Endgame. Yeah, yeah, almost. <laughs> but yeah, it's that is good. And like that's the reason why I in my notes I said oh, I'd love that song because it was two minutes long. But if it was two minutes long you'd probably lose that bit if it's just like verse chorus, also, verse chorus it's also on that bit so you know, it's like there's my church singing in the choir and you get like the choral mm. stuff but then his voice comes in really deep yeah at the end of it and his voice is just oh it's so rich and warm and oh yeah it's so good <laughs> follow that clip you know if you listen if you listen to someone like tom waits or or dylan or um you know like john cooper clark or something there's always like a turn of phrase that, you know, might yeah. make you laugh and you don't know why. If I said that, it wouldn't be funny. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Those kind of, oh, that's genius. I don't know why. But I, I, Pearl Jam has never been that, you know, that bad. But I, I didn't know. So, yeah, there was nothing like that. I was like, oh, that that's a great line or anything so much. This, um, you know, but in terms of songs, though, like an MFC, I'd be like, oh, I, I wish I'd written those two. Do you know what I mean? I love the guitar intro on um, MFC. Just like they'll down, down. Yeah. And it's really, really simple. And it just it just leads you into the song. You know, so when we're talking about this category, it's not just lyrics, it, it, it's the whole the whole of it. I love how um on some songs like Jack Irons has got that real sort of free sort of flow to his drumming. Whereas like the and we'll get on to drummers in a minute, I'm sure. But 
like previous drummers have been almost too hard rock. And then Jack Irons comes yeah. in and he's he's got that bit of funk about him. He's got he can play a bit different and that really lends itself to some of the songs on here. Certainly like do the evolution. You know, like though like it's just really subtle some of the drumming and that on it, you know? So it's it's not all about lyrics or lack of poignant lyrics. It's you know some of the arrangements are great, like, you know. So anyway. Do you want to talk about it now as we're here? So that's so um you you yeah, do you guys have a favourite Earl Jam drummer? Because I'll be honest, and Clint, don't take this the wrong way, as uh, a drummer in one of uh, my many bands, so that's unfair, in our band. A lot of the time I could tell you it's a different drummer. And I know that's that's probably really unappreciated. Like, Rancid changed drummers, and like, no one noticed. No one ever will know. And we'll talk, oh, well, they, all right, fair enough. So, Clint, do you, do you have a favourite drummer or of Paul Jam? Yeah, I'd have to say, I think probably, I mean, all right. I would rate the Irons and Cameron equally, like they're both outstanding. In terms of, I thought it was amazing, you know, because of the whole Soundgarden, Temple of the Dog kind of thing. When I heard that Matt Cameron had joined Soundgarden, I thought it was awesome, you know. Um, I was like, wow, it doesn't get any better than that. However, and, and Cameron's contributed some really good stuff. In, so, you know, he's got on his writing credits, he's brilliant. But I, I quite like that. That, that experimental stuff that came in through Jack Irons, you know? And so for me, uh, I think he's my favourite drummer slightly because of that, you know? Um, but, and also, like, on that track, No Way, it's almost like Irons is channeling John Bonham. It's just, it sounds very much like um, when the levee breaks. Mm-hmm. And he shows, he shows like, like you say, he's got this lightness of touch and almost like a, he's got a bit of a jazz approach in places. But then when it when it needs like some really solid, you know, just pounding rock drum, and he delivers that as well. So um, I think he's very versatile, and yeah, he's 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 got it. So I think Matt Cameron might be the most important member of Pearl Jam, not just as a drummer. I think when he came in, I think they were pretty much pulling apart a little bit as a band, and I don't. I I just wonder if because he's a peer. He's, he's friends with most of them. They've all played with him over the years, loads of times. But he's outside of all the bullshit that's gone on within the band up to that point. So he's almost like yeah, a new central point that everyone can revolve around without it being, you know, without rehashing all the old arguments and stuff they went through. Because there were very tense times in the band over the years. And I think he brings a... Like, like, like the, both of the Daves were really, really good drummers. And Jack Irons is a really good drummer. But Matt Cameron is a very, very accomplished musician, like multi-instrumentalist and songwriter in his own right. And I think that just helps to galvanise them as a five rather than, yeah. like, at times you wonder if it's like Vedder's bringing something and Stone Gossard's bringing something. And then they all kind of work together. But I wonder if... Matt Cameron coming in just really helps galvanise that collaborative effort a bit more. Yeah, yeah. And they're not going to give him shit because he was in Soundgarden. <laughs> and, and, and and let's be fair, though, they had three drummers in seven years and then he's been their drummer since. He's missed one show in 20-odd years. like So you can't say that Matt Cameron isn't the Pearl Jam drummer because he's played, played drums for no, Pearl Jam sorry. longer than anyone else ever has. Like, you know, so. Is Matt Cameron... The, your favorite because they're the records you like the most. If you see what I mean, does the record make the drummer, or does the drummer make the record? 
I know that's a bit contrived, but no, because I don't think I think <laughs> I don't think Pearl Jam would still be going if they right. had a different drummer. I think they would. I think Yield might have been their last record if Matt Cameron didn't come in. Because if you think, I can't remember if it's just before or just after Binaural comes out, and we'll get into this in a minute. Like you have the Ross Gilder tragedy. Oh yeah, got yeah. Killed at their gig, and I don't know if if after all the stuff that had gone on within the band, you know, at their height in the early nineties, where they are pulling apart and it's becoming the Eddie Vedder show and they're trying to retreat from that and then that happens. I don't know if they get get through all of that without without him being quite I think he's quite a he's quiet, but I think he's quite a strong personality. And like I say, I think he's a respected musician in his own right amongst them. So I just I don't know if the, if Pearl Jam would still be a thing. Yeah. I don't I think Yield might have been the last record, especially with Jack Irons making the record and then not wanting to go on tour. If they just got some session musician in or got one of the Daves back again. But whether Matt Cameron is that because they because he's respected and he's from the same community and they've known him forever, he can say and this could just this is just me imagining the situation, if they're acting the bollocks, he can just say, Oi, wind your neck in mm. and they'll take it from him where they won't take it from a hired session mm, Yeah. But maybe I'm reading too much into it. Yeah, you've raised some really good points there. I, I I agree completely. You know, I think you're right. I think it's it's, it's it had to be him coming in after Jack Irons' departure. Or, yeah, all these records afterwards probably wouldn't have been made today. No. The next category, I don't. I, I'm really going to have to hand this over to you guys. Um, but how many tracks from Yield would you say would make your personal Pearl Jam greatest hits? So I had a look on the greatest hits because there has been a greatest yeah. hits of Pearl Jam, which which covers ninety one to two thousand and three. It was a double album, um, and there was three tracks on there off this record, and they were given to fly, wish this, and do the evolution, which I can't disagree with. But I would also um, I've written down here. I would also add faithful and low light. I was surprised faithful wasn't on that list actually because that that I knew that song as well when I came to it to be honest they're not really a singles band they had those big singles alive even flow jeremy black and then i think do the evolution was the next next video they made yeah so i'd i'd add two more so that i'd make it five yeah. for me but then the best of pearl jam for me would be a 60 song quadruple album so <laughs> yeah i i picked i would have brain of jay uh given to floppy which Give Fly back originally was was something that I thought is you know I, I kind of uh, I probably skip it but now I think it's absolutely amazing yeah. I think it's a, a great song I love it so yeah Brain of Jay given to Fly MSD and Lucky Light would be my four um, for great hits it's funny as and well possibly pushed me probably yeah yeah but uh, it's probably not a very obvious it's quite nice having some deep cuts to keep to yourself though yeah it is it is in terms of like greatest hits like if i went to see pearl jam this weekend and they played nothing off 10 i i wouldn't go away disappointed if they didn't play alive or jeremy or even flow i'd still come away thinking that was an amazing gig whatever they played I, they could play play you know that lost dogs b-sides collection that they, they, they could play that yeah. they could play their b-sides collection in full and i reckon it'd be an amazing gig like, but um and, oh, yeah. and i think we'll get onto it in a bit but like they could play nothing off 10. They could play none of their, their big, well-known songs, and I'd still have a fucking great night. So do you think 
with that in mind, this record, so this is our next, next category, do you think that Yield stands up compared to those records? I think I know the answer. But I was quite surprised that when we spoke about doing a Pearl Jam record, that we did Yield. I thought it would be... I thought it'd be 10, to be honest. I was probably hoping it would be a little bit because I know a bit of that. Um, but do you, you, so you would agree that it, it does hold up? You know, it's as good as its predecessors? Yeah, for me, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of my favourite three Pearl Jam records. But I would say, is it peak Pearl Jam? I was like, musically, yes. But lyrically, no. I don't think it's their greatest album, the mm. lyrics, you know? But for me, what makes it is their... It was a brave thing, really. Like, like, um, like Rob said, you know, at the time they were coming apart. Because I think, have you seen that that video? Is it single video theory? Is that when they were making this record, or was it no code? Like, there's a lot of stuff on Pearl Jam Twenty that goes into like the Ticketmaster stuff and all the pressures that was put on the band at that point. And that like Eddie Vedder was traveling to gigs on his own in a van because he wanted to, he wanted to be in a band like Fugazi, but the other guys were on the bus. So there's a lot of separation and stuff so i've made i've made a bit of a an essay really here because if you think about the so pearl jam and this band they've been going for like 30 years or more now as thing stone gossard and jeff and men playing in green river in like 86 87 so they pearl jam is definitely like stone gossard and jeff amen's band and then yeah. like eddie Vedi comes in and he's the focal point in the early 90s but as soon as Pearl Jam break, so that was like, what, September 91? This album is yeah. January or February or could even be March 98. So that's five albums in six and a half years. And it's constant touring. And no one can deny that for a for five of those years, they were the biggest band on the planet. Versus outsold everything. Like the first weekend of versus being available to buy in America, it sold eight hundred thousand copies in a weekend. It was like massive, absolutely. Like Nirvana were big, Pearl Jam were bigger in terms of record sales. Yeah. Like at the time, and you know, there's a lot of bullshit around the, you know, in the press about the feuds and all of that. But Pearl Jam were the biggest band in the world, and the amount of pressure that that must put on a band especially when they've got this kind of punk ethic that they're meant to be keeping this like mm. to, and we've spoken about it before like for our age Clint like selling out was a massive thing which I don't think it is anymore but um no but that was always labeled at them as being sellouts because they sold so many records but I don't really know how much say they had in that because it's like not that anyone has any say in making... I don't think they purposely went out to make commercial records. I think... So 10 comes out, and it feels quite embryonic, and it feels like it's a group of musicians that got got together, and obviously Stone and Jeff have got loads of ideas. They've been knocking around for years, and they've always kind of been on the cusp of something big, like Mother Love Bone would have been massive had Andy Wood not died. And yeah. that, was, that was definitely a bit more on the commercial end. So you've got this dynamic of like the two songwriters in Amen and Gossard, and then Vedder comes in, and he's a strong personality, and it's his charisma and that kind of pushes them over the top, and then everything kind of blows up around them, and the whole scene blows up around them at the same time. So it's not just them; it is Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and Nirvana, and then 
Versus comes out and it's kind of made up of stuff that they were kicking about around 10. They've had a little bit more time to develop or it's stuff that's been written on the road during non-stop touring. And it feels like the train is running and it's all a bit mad and they're the biggest things in the world and everyone wants a piece of them. And then the dynamics are shifting a bit because obviously Eddie's coming in, he's trying to put his a bit more of his stuff into the songwriting where it's been this long-term collaboration between Gossard and Ament for for so long. So that's got to shift a dynamic a bit. And then Vitology is a little bit like, what will happen if we try and crash this train? Yeah. What if we go a little bit out there? And again, I think it is, again, that is Veda and his, this is going to sound terrible, his wannabe punk credentials that takes it off into that sort of weird art rock sort of tangent. And then no code comes out and it's basically like, we need to fucking rest because we've just been non-stop for so long and this is this is what we want to do and we don't care if it sells and it's almost like in a deliberate attempt to stop the train from going altogether. Yeah. Because they basically say, no, we're not doing that. We're not playing the game anymore. We're just going to make stuff we want to make. And then they get into Yield and it's almost like they're coming back together as a unit again and they start to work a bit more collaboratively and it feels like you could take elements from every album up to that point and distill it down into Yield. So this feels like the first true Pearl Jam record where they've, as a full-on five-member collaborative effort, whereas everything else has always been like people pulling here, there and everywhere and that's the end of my essay. Yeah. <laughs> I think you you absolutely nailed it and I think, I don't want to sound critical, but I think with with Edda, do you remember there was some some like sort of spat with him and Kurt Cobain where I can't remember exactly what happened, but Kurt Cobain was kind of called him a sellout and stuff like that. And and I mean they you know that apparently they reconciled before um before Kurt died and everything. But um it's almost like everything since has been Eddie Vedder trying to prove, you know, no, I am, I am, you know, like like you see, I have got punk credentials and stuff. Um, so I'm going to bring us home. I think we've kind of covered it a little bit. I know there's some different opinions. And again, I'm not one I really feel I can really comment on, but Yield, is it peak Pearl Jam? Is this Pearl Jam at their, I don't know, is it Pearl Jam at their creative best, their commercial, bigger, you know, talk to me. As I've said, I really like Riot Act. I think for me that, like creatively, I think Riot Act is their best work. Um, I think it pushes some of the boundaries. You can see signs of it I th- um, earlier. I think I've said before that Riot Act is a almost like a sister album to Vitology, but with them all pulling together rather than pulling apart. Yeah. I, th- I, I think Vedder, like Vitology, I've said it before, Vedder was bringing stuff that maybe some of the other members in the band weren't as comfortable doing. And then later on, they're just like, yeah, they're, maybe they're more open to it or they're just all pulling in the same direction. Mm. But the Avocado album and Backspace have got some really good moments. But I would say like out of the, the post-2000 stuff, if you like, the only ones that stand up are Binaural and Riot Act. I think after Ross Gilder as well, like we were saying earlier, they were quite shook up and took them like three years between Binaural and Riot Act to make another record. So I think that could have been a point where they could have knocked it on the head quite easily and just gone off and done other stuff and those side project bands might have been a bit more yeah. and you might have had some some other brad records or whatever 
But like post two phase and re or post riot act, it feels like an album is just an excuse to go out on tour again, and they very much embrace that live touring band aspect. They become our Grateful Dead. <laughs> yeah, they're always on tour. They're always playing somewhere. It's like the nonstop Pearl Jam show, and that does coincide with declining sales of physical media. So you're not selling records like you used to. That you have to make money playing. But I get the feeling they do just love playing and. Like, is it peak Pearl Jam? Well, they played just sold out two nights at Hyde Park mm. a month ago. So it's now not peak Pearl well. Jam. Like we said earlier, they can sell out multiple nights in the biggest stadiums in the world. And yet no one I talk to has ever heard of them. Yeah. But I don't know. I've, I, it's difficult. It's, um, yeah, I think a lot of the people that go to see them now, it's off the back of 10 and those first yeah. few records, I suppose. I don't know if I entirely trust people who say they're a Pearl Jam fan or that they love Pearl Jam and that 10 is their favorite record because that might just be me being hipster but they if someone says to me oh yeah I love Pearl Jam 10's my favorite record Jeremy's my favorite Mm. song or Alive is my favorite song I'm just like yeah how much though really do you love them that's the hipster in you I don't think it is (laughs) I think what it is well it probably is I think it's them being my favorite band yeah for, yeah for 30 years i think it's the band that them being my defining band mm. but i think this is probably the album where i sort of doubled down on them and said whatever they put out from now on these are my band yeah so if, if that's peak pearl jam like i'm not saying that like after this album made me go or oh, whatever they put out i'm just gonna love it regardless it meant that if the next album was wasn't as good, I'd still give the one after that. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're going to get as many chances as they mm. need from yeah. this point on. No, Clint, anything to add on, on that? I mean, you can almost you can almost separate like ten versus because I mean they were you know very I mean they're they're classic records, aren't they? I mean they're almost untouchable. You can't really say anything against them in in some ways. And, and I mean even today, ten is still a it's a brilliant record. Um, I don't listen to it very much. No, I, I I haven't listened to it in years. But I think it's it's one of those you don't like. We were saying earlier, you don't need to listen to it because it's it's in here, isn't it? And um, I think it, in in some ways it kind of it backfired on them to for a band to make such a great record for their first record. You're kind of going uphill from that. It's tough then, isn't it? And you don't really. They didn't have that kind of gradual build. Although if you factor in the Green River and Mother Love Bone years, they did. Like have that gradual build, I suppose, to kind of get their heads around things. But Pearl Jam, it was like, you know, up here kind of thing straight away. But for me, I think no code yields binaural. And to a certain extent, parts of Riot Act, those four are like my favourite Pearl Jam records, especially binaural, like Heads and Shoulders above everything else. And I, and I no code and, and yield for me are very, like, they're almost like, I think I used to actually have them in my car on like two sides of a like 120 cassette. So we like, and then, you know, it like auto play on the next side and the two fit together very, very well. And they're, they're, they're very similar in them always. Yeah. Similar to like I was saying with Riot Act and Vitology, Phil, they could have like, not like they come out the same sessions 10 years apart almost. Yeah. They, they kind of, you know, you know, like they're brothers or sisters or however, however you want to put it there. And, um, and, but yeah, like for me, I think, Someone said, "What what's Pearl Jam's best album that I should go and listen to? I'd say Binaural. Not only in terms of the musical content, but also the recording techniques and stuff. Like, it's just 
because like um you know if you listen to it from like an engineering point of view you know like with the panning and all this kind of thing like i think it's an absolute masterpiece it really is but yeah yield i think yield is a great and i something i didn't mention if i could just quickly say like i love you know amen's my favorite member you know he's he's a skateboarder like me and 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 an artist as well and like a lot of the sleeve art was done by him wasn't it you know on most of the records and i think it's an absolutely amazing sleeve yeah like especially the cd when you open it up and it's got that die cut bit where like the whole there's a hole isn't there for the yield sign Mm -hmm. yeah and i think in terms of packaging uh, and i mean vitology that's a great album sleeve as well but i think because i apparently took the photo for the cover of yield it's like on the turn on his way to his house in montana i just think it's a stunning like package as a whole like it's really really cool so um yeah so yield is i don't really have a favorite pearl jam record i kind of have a top three or four and yields always in my top three or four with probably right acting probably versus to be honest but if i think oh i'm gonna listen to pearl jam like yield is my go-to i know i'm going to enjoy it from start to finish and it's it's not baggy at all it's 45 minutes that's with that extra song on the end that you got to wait for as well so you know you can you can be in and out fairly sharp and you know some of the stuff can go on a bit like <laughs> might have said earlier but just to so like obviously you've listened to it all the way you know over the years is there anything else that you've kind of maybe in the you know years ago you were like oh i love that song and maybe today you were like it's you know it's like it's changed the levels you know there's certain songs now that you appreciate more right if we'd done this 10 years ago i would probably said mfc was my favorite song on there and obviously now it's it's faithful because there's a lot more going on but mfc is also a lot slower when I listen to it now, then I remember it being when I first listened to it. And maybe that's because I listened to that Live on Two Legs album a lot with the live version on it. But like the studio version sounds a lot slower than I remember it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so there's little things like that. But like, yeah, if you if you listen to like Push Me, Pull Me with the decent headphones on, there's so much going on in that as well, isn't it? And you think, hang on. Um, I just wanted to touch, and this is touch upon um, some of the production, because this is Brendan O'Brien, right, isn't it? Yeah, all for, the first five records are all Brendan O'Brien, yeah. Because, like, I'm not a Pearl Jam fan, as we've probably established tonight, I'm a massive Pearl Jam fan at least, but the second you hear this record start, it's like, this is a Brendan O'Brien record. And I, I, I would probably, I wasn't aware that it was all of it. I knew he was involved with Pearl Jam. And what I find interesting is that there's some production stuff on there that I, I that a business you gotta appreciate. I like, oh, that's really clever. That's really good use of the space and to get vaguely technical about it. But there's some stuff on there I'm like, oh, I, I don't like a lot. Some of the guitar tones on there didn't really float my boat. I felt it was a bit over. There's a little bit like just you don't need like the flanger effect on that guitar, mate. Just play it straight a little bit. Um, but that again, and I feel a little bit muddled about. This, this some of this stuff on this record because like, I hear stuff in it like the drums it's just like whoa these are the Brendan O'Brien drums aren't they whoever's playing them you can still hear that and I, I think about some of the the records that I've loved in the last sort of 10 years and I think like the Springsteen stuff that Brendan O'Brien did they did together Magic is is a brilliant record and like the Gaslight Anthem stuff I love those Gaslight Anthem records and i hear the drums sound the same don't they certainly you know you can tell what's going on and i think part of me is a little bit frustrated that i 
I hear things that I like in these Pearl Jam records, but not, but I don't like them on the whole, if you see what I mean. It's almost as if, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, I want to hear it, and I think this needs more. This needs to go bigger and, you know, get, like, strings and shit in there. Or if it needs to go the other way and just strip all everything away. Like, you bit like you were saying that, like, you know, Eddie Vedder wanted to be in Fugazi and that sort of thing. But I don't know whether that's what I want. Do you know what I mean? If I could find a Pearl Jam record that is just really stripped back and you've got the big drums, the hard guitars, and Eddie kind of giving it a bit rather than kind of this sort of more arty sort see, of thing. See, there, see, there's elements on Vertis that you'd like, like Go, an animal. Right. I don't know how anyone who has just said what mm. you said wouldn't like well, those maybe, tracks. yeah. yeah. Uh, there's other stuff like Rearview Mirror is it's a straight it's a, four four yeah, rock song, yeah. but you know. forgive me because you'll you'll probably kill me for this. But it's not a, I'm not comparing the two bands. It's you've got our our esteemed guest to thank for this. Like I tried and tried and tried and searched and searched and searched to find a U two record that I liked because I felt there was something. I felt that there was a U two record that I was going to stumble upon and think this is it. This is what I've been looking for with you too and i wonder if i'd have that same experience with pearl jam there's elements of stuff that i like but i just don't know if i'm ever gonna find like a, like you know there's elements of you two records i hear i think this is amazing but then i think i just don't like it overall and i get that with pearl jam a little bit i i know you're asking clinton about you two and that but i was just wondering if maybe because of the scene mm-hmm. being like like the grunge scene being essentially like off the back of a, more of a punky element. So like Nirvana and Mudhoney yeah. were that sort of harder edge. Then Mudhoney were one of the first bands. And then everyone gets, we've said about this before, everyone gets lumped in together because they're all from the same town. Yeah. You wouldn't put Nirvana and Soundgarden on the same compilation tape, really, would you? Because what one's very Sabbath influenced, the other's very, you know. And I wonder if... You think grunge, and you get this you get this idea of it's got to be stripped back, mm. like, like Mud Honey is very, very stripped back, and then Pearl Jam is almost at times classic rock. If you like, yeah, you can, yeah, yeah, you can hit like like on Given to Fly is pretty much going to California by their depth, then isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and there's stuff like I want to say the Eagles, but it's not really the Eagles. It's uh, but you've you've got that sort of Alt country mm. late seventies vibe to some of the, some some of Pearl Jam yeah. stuff, especially more later on. Whereas I can't see like Nirvana would ever have done something like Low Light, for instance. No, or Wish or Wishlist, no. because they're just such different bands. Mm. And but I wonder because they're all lumped in together, whether you have a different expectation. Maybe that that could be it. Whereas if you were maybe to, I think you two. But again, see, like I was going to say, I think you two might be a fairer comparison, but I don't think you two can rock out for want of a less granddad phrase. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think you two ever get as hard as Pearl Jam can. No, no. I often say about how I feel that my music taste is quite mainstream, and you always say, well, no, you're actually mm. well outside of the mainstream. But. To me, Pearl Jam are like one of my most mainstream bands. Yeah, that I like. 
but they're like, like you would say, they're really not. Yeah, yeah. Like if I was to come any closer, like the next step to the middle to me would be like from Pearl Jam, U2 would then be mm. the, the middle or REM, like peak REM, 90s REM. And then, but then you come out to the alternative a bit, and that first stop is Pearl Jam, Kate and Crows, that sort of stuff. And then obviously, I do go a bit further as well, but like, you know, so. But then I don't know. Are Pearl Jam a mainstream band? They're certainly a mainstream alternative band, if you like. Yeah, I, that's, I think that's a fair, a fair label for them, a mainstream alternative. Whereas Nirvana might be that, that step across again, apart from maybe Team Spirit. Yeah. Right, gents. Yes, sorry. Three hours. Yes. Yeah, so- thank you very much. That is a world record records and bands. You're welcome back anytime. That was amazing. Oh, thank, thank you, you thank so you, much. Trust me, I'm truly honoured. No, no, no. You, you can come on whenever you want. Though. If you want to come on and talk about REM or if you want to come do a U2 record or Sound Garden or anything that takes your fancy. Yeah, mate, it's been great yeah, chatting with you. Yeah. Catching up. <laughs> Three fucking hours, man. I'm absolutely fucking shagged it.